I don't think we've met. Ed Baldwin. Alexi, nice to meet you, sir. So, how do you like working with my daughter? Who? <laughs> Kelly, my daughter. Oh, a girl, yes. She's nice. It's a girl. You mean to say you've been in a confined space with my daughter for over four weeks and you haven't bothered to learn her name? I, uh... It is, uh... Goddamn Russians. Welcome back to For All Mankind, the official podcast. I'm Chris Marshall, a.k.a. Commander Danielle Poole, on the Apple TV Plus series. Each week, I sit down with the cast, crew, and show creators to discuss what just happened in the latest episode. This podcast will be jam-packed with spoilers, so if you haven't seen episode six of season three yet, press pause, go watch, and come back. Today, there is a lot to talk about. So I'll be sitting down with Robert Bailey Jr., who plays Will Tyler, and executive producer Ben Nadivi. But first, let's do a quick recap. In episode six, we get to see life on Mars for the first time. Now, no one said it would be easy, but you take a defunct cooling system, limited potable water, and eight people crammed into a six-person habitat, and that makes for some pretty rough living. But one member of the team is inspired by Mars, astronaut Will Tyler, and he takes the opportunity to come out of the closet on national TV. Of course, there's an uproar, and it falls on President Ellen Wilson to calm the nation down. She announces a program called Uniform First, but between this and her husband's sex scandal, Ellen is feeling the growing pressure of living her own lie. Back on Mars, Ed brings a feast to Happy Valley to hold the first ever Martian Thanksgiving. And don't worry, the Soviets brought the vodka. Of course, it doesn't take long for tensions to boil over. And like any good family Thanksgiving, things end with the entire room up in arms. Something about this place really changes your perspective on things. When you're here, it feels like anything is possible. Anything is... Anything's possible. You know, growing up in Detroit, there weren't a lot of kids like me. Back then, uh, especially in the neighborhood I grew up in, you just didn't tell people you were gay. I am joined today just past the midway point with two incredibly handsome human beings who also happen to be wildly talented. First up is one of our showrunners and executive producer, Ben Nadivi. Hi, Ben. Hello. <laughs> and the other is Robert Bailey Jr., who plays Will Tyler. Hi, Robert. Hello, hello. How you doing? Before we just dive too much into it, Ben, you are an old veteran of the For All Mankind podcast. But Robert, mm-hmm. talk to me about the experience of joining For All Mankind. How's it been? I definitely never really considered the idea of playing an astronaut. When I got the job, it was my first job post-pandemic. Mm. I've been basically in my home 
for about a, a year and a half. I was taking care of a family that was immunocompromised, so I really didn't do anything during that time period. Mm-hmm. And so to then suddenly be on a, a spacecraft and then on Mars, as we are in this episode, <laughs> was so surreal, not to mention the fact that I just didn't really know how to be around people for a solid week and a half, two weeks when we first started filming. And then I was just on wires floating <laughs> through the air. It, it took me a little mi- bit to get settled. But, and so it was, it was so wonderful having you honestly there as uh, the leader and really just rallying the entire team. I think everybody that would join us throughout the course of the season really saw the sort of solidarity that we had. So just having you there to just talk to on a personal level and then play with in scenes really was a wonderful experience. So I I am such a fan of this show and the stories in both of the first two seasons were so thrilling for me to then be a part of a show of what I consider such a high caliber. Like I, you don't, you can't really ask for much more as an artist. So yeah, I was so thrilled and honored to be a part of the show. I'll tell you what, you just took to the environment like a duck to water. It was like so great having you there and you just vibrate great energy. So it it didn't take long for us to really meld as a unit. And so I'm super grateful that you joined our cast. Ben, talk to me a little bit about the process. We've talked about casting in the past. When you look for a role like this one, which on the surface, when you read about Will Tyler, you think, okay, he's another member of Sojourner. He's a a cog in this machine. When you're looking for what eventually would be Robert to play this role, what are you seeking out in the Will Tyler actor? That's a great question. Yeah, this was a role early on. We told Junie and Libby we were definitely wanting to get ahead of and make Mm -hmm. sure we have enough time to cast the right person. And I think with any role, especially in a show like this, you're looking for that genuine voice, that authenticity. And it's something that it's hard to really explain it until you see it. Mm-hmm. And I think we definitely saw it with Robert in his in his audition. It's very rare you get emotional in watching an audition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you do, you remember it. And I do remember watching his and being taken by it. And I think it was interesting. We didn't have a particular look in mind. And I think with a show like this, we try to keep an open mind about that. But it's a really tricky role. I think the thing... I loved about this role is something that reminds me of some other roles from earlier seasons where you meet this guy, you don't know the full story for a few episodes. You're just meeting him. He's part of the crew. Mm-hmm. He's up there. This is exciting. And only later, like a few episodes in, do you realize there's more there. So I love that. I, it's something we want to keep doing with the show is really surprising people. And I think what Robert brought it, and it was obvious from the beginning, was that sense of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and emotion. And I think that that moment, that speech he gives on tape, anytime I watch it, it I'm moved by it. Watching Ellen watch Will is one of the more powerful moments in the midway point of the season because there's just a, a myriad of things that are going on with Jody in her face. And I remember talking to her about it and saying, what was that like for you shooting that scene? And she said, I really didn't have to do much. Robert had already done his half of that. And so rather than just sometimes you do something, you have to play off of a blank screen and just imagine something is there. But in her case, she got to actually watch the tape of Will Tyler coming out. And she said, we did it a handful of times and it just sprang forth. I couldn't help myself. Robert, when you read that monologue, what were your first impressions? Were you excited? Were you intimidated? Oh, yeah, I was terrified. I was terrified. (laughs) It was just, there's so many layers to that and so many things that I was 
on just on a human level, curious to explore and mm-hmm. examine this huge moment for him and, and overcoming and slaying this dragon of, of something he's faced his entire life and not being able to live his full truth and be fully who he is, to come out on this scale to the entire world mm-hmm. and kind of have a safety of being removed from the world and everything that he's dealt with and be with his chosen family. And then we obviously see throughout the course of the, the episode the consequences of how people that love you can still be triggered and still have difficulty fully accepting you when you reveal your full truth. But there's so many things that I related to in having to, wanting to achieve a certain level of success to feel, you know, worthy of acceptance Mm -hmm. and having to feel like you're performing parts of yourself, knowing that if you really were everything that you are, people wouldn't be able to fully see you anymore. And you risk throwing it all away. You right? risk throwing it all away. Everything yeah. that that you've achieved to be a good son, a good boy, a soldier. good person, mm-hmm. also a good soldier. And so there were just so many layers to it that having a short amount of time to really introduce to everyone the character of Will and get them to care and then have this big moment, it felt like a lot to try to convey. I just wanted to really dive into the things about his story that I could really connect with and then start exploring from there and hope that it was all going to be there in that moment. Mm -hmm. When we did that speech, it was literally just me holding a a handheld camera and talking to it. And it was really exhilarating because I feel like that's one of the first times in a rather long career that I was just there Mm -hmm. and experiencing a lot and everything was just coming up for me. And I was so curious as to just how many things I can start continue to bring forward. And I think Will Tyler is a really big uh, pivot point for me in my career and, and the sorts of roles that I want to be exploring. I tell you what, Robert, you, performance-wise, you did not put any sauce, no mustard, no ketchup, no ham. You didn't put, because sometimes people have a monologue like that and they're like, oh, great. Let me open up my carpet bag of tricks and just cover this beautiful thing in a whole bunch of Thousand Island. And you didn't do it. You just let it live and let it breathe. And even though I was, I think I was there on the day, but I wasn't on the set in that moment, it just came as such a shock to me when I got to see it. I knew that it would be simple and succinct because of the work that we had done together before. But seeing the monologue in its entirety, I was just like so taken aback by it. And this is a credit to you, but also a credit to you, Ben. And remind me, who wrote this episode? Stephanie Shannon. Yeah. You guys did such a beautiful job of constructing it because mm-hmm. the monologue could lean in the direction of woeful or tearful or choked up. And it doesn't read that way on the page. And Robert's performance didn't lean in that direction. Talk to me about how you guys constructed this monologue because you want to keep it tight. You want to get in and get out. You want it to be emotional without being overly saccharine or sentimental. What was that experience like of working on this monologue, Ben? I have to give the credit to the writer. I think Stephanie, there's stuff we rewrite, but that speech, I remember there was so little we had to change. I think she did an amazing job mm. crafting that. And I think everything you just laid out there, Chris, is so much what we try to do with the show, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. where it's like the emotion is there. You don't have to lean into it any more than it's already there. Because if you lean into it too much, yes, you're right. It starts to lose. It starts to not feel genuine. And I think what you wanted to feel in that moment is this is something that was coming from his heart. It wasn't something, as it was planned, but not really planned. Mm-hmm. And I think that balance was really important in that moment. And I agree with you in terms of how he performed it. It felt like, it, it felt, you just believed him. You believed this is what he was going through. And he felt this opportunity at this moment 
was the kind if if not now when mm-hmm. I think that question I think is something that the room when we discussed these scenes and these arcs we kept coming back to as well how to really speak to this moment in a way that is so impactful like going to Mars going to a new planet you have this platform are you going to use it or are you not and if you're not going to use it that's a choice as well you know we're talking about the sort of if not now when aspect of it, which brings me, Ben, I'm going to put you on the spot. I want you to tell our listeners about Chris Marshall's response to Danielle's <laughs> response being super anti yeah. Will Tyler and being pretty unsupportive. Tell the folks about the email I wrote you after I read 306. <laughs> In I had short, a feeling this said, was going to come up. Hell no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> No, I remember, yeah, and the it does happen every once in a while where, you know, one of our actors reads the script and they're like, wait, I, I don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. with what my character is saying right now or how they're reacting to this. And that does happen a few times on our show because we have, as you know, a bunch of our characters who people love and we love say or do things that aren't exactly politically correct or the right thing from the perspective of today, looking mm-hmm. back. And I remember, I, I think as much as you were hesitant at the beginning, I remember after talking to you about it, not only did you take to the idea, you ran with it in a way that Mm. I have to say, I think the scene between you and Will in the airlock is one of my favorite scenes in the season Mm. because you brought something to this moment that that also felt really true. You know, it's an interesting thing that Danielle, from the beginning of the show, she's such a loved character. And mm-hmm. the thing everyone says about her is always like, she can do no wrong. She always <laughs> does the right thing. You know, something that kept coming up is Danielle's been around for a while. This mm-hmm. isn't someone who's like young anymore or some, who's someone who just got started. And, you know, the way things worked when she started out at NASA are very different than what's going on now. And I think mm-hmm. it was really interesting to us to show her reaction, not just be one of pure acceptance. I felt you were sympathetic to him and understanding. But at the same time, I think you were, you know, really frustrated. You felt there's a proper way to go about things, like the way you went about things. I think on its surface, I, Chris, am so protective of Danielle that when I read it, I was like, wait a minute, he's black in the program. She's black in the program. There's no way she wouldn't, not only would she support him, she'd take a bullet in front of him. She'd call up the president herself and yell at her or whatever. Like, I just imagined... Danielle as being this ultimate freedom fighter. And so I was pretty PO'd when I read that. And I thought, these guys have really gotten her wrong. I gotta, I gotta write an email. But I'm so glad, Ben, that you took the time. And this is one of the things that I just love so much about our show is that there really is a sense of community and a sort of egalitarian existence where we all get to truly tell the story together. So for me, it took me time to kind of wrap my mind around that Danielle grew up in the 1950s. Her experience is completely different from mine. Robert, talk to me about your end of that conversation with Danielle in the airlock. What was that like for you, both as a performer and also as Will Tyler? Yeah. There were so many layers to it that I found it so beautiful how collaborative you were to work with and Thank open you. and not in your ego about things. And for Will, it's interesting because we had just come out of 2020 and we'd had the great racial reawakening. Sure. And mm-hmm. uh, had so many conversations about race. And 
there were so many times that I was having conversations with people that were allies, but when you would then try to let them know about certain things that they had done that maybe had affected you because they were open and curious about it, mm-hmm. the ways in which it would trigger them. And then they would get defensive because their ideas of their identity and mm-hmm. how they find themselves were getting challenged. Mm-hmm. And then you just, you get defensive and you attack or however you handled that. And you say things that maybe you don't mean in that moment because you're just like, this is the way things are and this is how I see myself. And it was so fascinating to experience that and also compound the sort of intersectionality of what it means to be black and gay mm-hmm. and how they affect each other. And the idea of it being lucky, it's a, a thing you can hide, but how difficult that can be to live your life with one of the, the major parts of your identity being your greatest shame and something that you, sure. like you do even fully know love. The people that are closest to you don't even know this huge aspect of yourself and you're always having to perform in a way. So how much of a burden that is to carry, that's a different thing than something you can't hide and so you just have to exist with. And the people that reject you are what they are, but the people that accept you, that's everything that you are and that's culture and that's family and that's you know how you make your way in society even if there's struggle. So there were so many things in that conversation that just spoke really true to me as to it doesn't really matter how much you're close with somebody and how much love is really there when you're challenging these core aspects of self and your idea of yourself and and when those things get triggered just it can go all kind of different ways Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that the love isn't there but you have to be able to really sit with yourself some of those times and, and examine the ways in which you react in those situations and it's such a lesson to me Speaking about the ones who love you, Ben, I'm going to punt this question in your direction. The person who loves Will the most is Roland. And I love that we have this long history, such a long history that on the Sojourner ride over, Roland's American wife and their little kid are like, hi, Will, you know, and he even teases, my wife loves you more than she loves me or something like that. And so now we've seen the person who was his seemingly biggest ally, best friend, comes to Danielle and essentially says he's gay and might have HIV and I don't want to get it. Talk to me about that, about Roland's not a bad guy, but during this time, we've got so much in our world that has been adjusted and shifted and moved forward, like the hybrid cars and the cell phones and things. And then we've got some really antiquated, very 1990s thinking around what it means to be gay. There's a lot to unpack there. I I would say, I think there's always a challenge when you're writing something or even performing in something that's period, because it's so hard now more than ever (laughs) to escape what we feel about something now. And I think Mm -hmm. people forget, including me sometimes, how bad it was just in the 90s. The way they talk about Don't Ask, Don't Tell or anything. I mean, it's at the time it was seen very different in the advances that have happened. The amazing advances that have happened in equality and that haven't happened until very recently. So I think first off, we always try to be true to the period we're writing about. And I think that's really important, especially it being an alt history. I think there's a misunderstanding of the show that because of the Russians landing on the moon first, everything gets better. Sure. I think that's not something we ever wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I think, yes, maybe the long run of the show is towards optimism. But we also wanted to show the challenges faced by people. And that when change happens, especially change happening quickly like it does on the show, the pushback is really harsh, sometimes overly harsh. And I think that's what was fascinating about this with Roland. It's interesting, Alexander, the actor who I love as well, <laughs> he's amazing. He also sure. struggled. I, I don't remember know if that. I talked to you about this, but he struggled. He struggled with this as well. And I don't feel comfortable saying mm-hmm. this. And I think this episode 
a lot of things like this came up where it was like we had to go to him and talk. I talked to him about the reality of the period, that this was actually a fear. People were scared. You know, when we were researching the show in the room, we talked about people were scared to play with the Magic Johnson on a basketball mm-hmm. court because they thought they were going to get AIDS from him. Mm-hmm. So they, as, as absurd as that seems right now, and it does, then we people didn't know. In, in the face of fear, the worst instincts some, sometimes come up. And I think Stephanie did a great job kind of writing the nuance into the scene where you push back on it. But I think even Danielle, deep down, probably isn't 100% sure either. And I think that we wanted to capture the fear of the era, not only for that scene, but I think also to inform Ellen's decision with the don't ask, don't tell policy, which again is another policy where now it looks ridiculous. And you think the show, sometimes I love that we do this. We take risks like this. We want to go down those roads and the room, all our writers, I think we really relish the opportunity. We think the easy thing to do in an alt history show is just to put blinders on everything that happened. I think anyone who watches the show knows, especially by this year, we're not going to do that. We're going to face it straight on. And that's what we did here. There is a moment, and I'm jumping ahead in the episode, where Roland doesn't want to drink behind you in the toast at the big Thanksgiving dinner. And he yells, you lied to me. And that line just, I, I get chills just saying it out loud right now. You lied to me. Talk to me about what the sentiment behind that is. Because obviously, Roland's in the wrong, but a lot of people feel that way when they meet someone who's gay or they meet someone who's trans and they don't find that out soon enough. They feel like somehow they were lied to. Well, the difficulty is that even if he's in the wrong, at least from my understanding, a lot of the people that someone would say that to live with the shame of, you're right, I have been lying Mm -hmm. about who I am Mm -hmm. and everything about our relationship that we've built was based on this lie and I'm I'm not good. And, you know, there's so many things that then, you know, in my response to that, it's like fighting against that. And like, I didn't know I owed that to you or what's your deepest, darkest secret just because you found out this one thing about me. Is that entirely who I am to you now? Like, there's so many different levels to that. But the raw emotion is what's behind him saying that the trust and foundation and the fact that he feels like at this time in what we're talking about, the AIDS epidemic of, oh, you put me in danger. Mm. We bunked together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I've shared your sweat. Even going back to the earlier scene that we have in the vent, that was actually one of my audition mm-hmm. scenes. And so in that scene, it was so evocative because it, uh, initially I had my shirt off and I was so covered in sweat and he didn't even want to be near me. And, and that was kind of what that moment was. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew about that months in advance. And so I got really jacked for the episode and then we had a tank top on. So I just posted <laughs> I on really Instagram, jacked. like, somebody's got to see this. Like, Can't let all this jack on the waist. Come on Exactly, now. you know? <laughs> somebody's got to see these abs now. But no, so, so we, that was kind of like the... There were little moments throughout the episode where, you know, that moment with the bottle was the escalation of, look, I've been through the game before. Like, I know what this is. And yet, you're my brother, man. I didn't expect this from you. So I'm I'm trying to write off all the different reasons why you might be acting weird about me. But just say it. Like, mm-hmm. I know what this is. And so the sense of betrayal that they both have, that, look, you're my chosen family. We've been through so much together. I know this is a lot, but... It's like that, like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I don't exist to you and you can't even accept food from me or be next to me and do the work that we've been doing for years. There's so much raw emotion behind it. Ben, I want to ask you about 
And seasons past, I mean, season one, really the crux of a lot of our work is about women in space. And now this season, a big through line, the big theme is about gay rights. How do you decide to tackle such a huge conversation? And when we talk about characters like Danielle and Ellen, who are truly beloved, but we're watching them do things that are categorically the opposite of what they quote unquote should be doing, right? Danielle should really be having wheels back and in many ways she doesn't. Ellen is contributing to this conservative narrative that being gay is something you should be ashamed of and be quiet about. Yet all the while we know that she's in the closet. How do you tackle such a big conversation in this episode, but throughout the season? Well, it's interesting, you know, I don't think we we look at it that way. We don't go into it going, let's talk about this is the gay rights, uh, gay rights season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we do. I think this show, it's always come from a place of character, everything. Um, I think that's the beauty of television is you really fall for these people and you, you go on a journey that sometimes lasts years on a show like this goes on decades. So I think for us, it really all came from Ellen's character, right? And her journey that we've seen from the early 70s. And I think, yeah, what you're speaking to that I totally agree with is it felt we had this plan for Ellen. I think with a lot of our characters, we had kind of a, a roadmap. But it was interesting to, you know, see someone whose ability to hide that part of herself, mm -hmm. she's almost mastered by this point, right? Like she, and if anything, that ability has helped get her to where she is. I mean, there's stories I'm sure you guys have heard, I've heard of people who've become insanely famous celebrities, mm -hmm. politicians, who've had these secrets they've carried almost uh, their entire lives. And I, I, strangely, I almost feel sometimes like that ability to hide that part of you is actually strangely a part, a talent that you kind of use in that career, especially in politics. And what we really wanted to tackle, I think, this year was showing that Ellen's fight has always been between what she wants for herself in her life and what would be good for her career. I think when we started her journey, I don't think, I think even early on with Jody, we told her you're going to be president of the United States one day. <laughs> I think she, I, there was a time in season two, she came to us. She's like, wait, am I, am I still going to become president? Are you sure about that? Like, oh yeah, that's still the plan. And I think what's really great about what she did this year is one, you just believe mm -hmm. that she is. But two, I think for a lot of people, I'm sure when they're watching episodes three and four and even five, there must be a little bit of frustration that we wanted to embrace. The idea of like, okay, she's achieved the success, but like, is she happy? Is this, sure. is this enough for her? Mm -hmm. She's achieved the ultimate success. So I'm going to back up now from some of the heavy stuff we've been talking about. <laughs> Robert, I'm going to talk to you a bit about Happy Valley hijinks, right? Because the truth of the matter is that, yes, we dealt with some really serious concepts and storylines and gay rights and civil rights and all these things. But behind the scenes, we actually just had like a really, really good time together. Talk to me about the experience of working on The Sojourner and the wire work that we did and the stunts. I mean, had, had you done a lot of stunts and stuff before? I've done some stunts, but it, it was just a different kind of stunt. The wire work in particular for me was akin to uh, singing and playing mm, an instrument, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where when I'm learning a song or when I'm trying to learn, you know, a new chord progression, usually for a while there, at least I'm doing one or the other pretty well, mm -hmm. but the other's definitely falling off. So I know the first couple of episodes, I felt like there were days where I was either just 
doing terrible with the wire work and like, <laughs> okay, I'm feeling solid as a performer right now. Or I was like flying through the air and just nothing was happening for me as, a, as an actor. And, and it took me a while to get comfortable. You know, our, we had an incredible stunt team on the show and, and they were very complimentary of my eventual affinity for the wire work so much so that I ended up having to come in almost every day and just be behind other scenes floating through the air because I was really good at it at that point. <laughs> right, so I was always just it. like t- turning dials it. and I was like, maybe this was a mistake, but I'm just always back here in Get this Robert, shuttle. we need someone floating <laughs> exactly, in the Exactly, exactly. It was really funny. Um, so I spent a lot of time in that in that harness, but uh, no, it was actually a blast. It was, it was such a, a dream to be in outer space suddenly, especially like I was saying, coming from being in my house forever. It was really wonderful. And, and we had such a, a fun team. It was like being away at summer camp and we all just got along so well we and we were always joking and it was so much fun. So it, it definitely helped when we had a lot of heavier scenes yeah. that we had built up so much trust, especially the first couple of episodes before, you know, everything kind of uh, turns up in this episode. I mean, there's obviously like really big things that happened in the previous mm-hmm. episodes when we arrived, but as far as like the heavy character work uh, for Will, there was already a lot of trust mm-hmm. and we were doing episodes together in blocks. And so we'd, we'd shoot together for like three or four weeks and then we'd be off for a month. And so it was really interesting to try to catch the the momentum and the wave and feel like I, I knew what I was doing when I came back to work. Mm-hmm. And so having those sorts of bonds was very helpful in that way. So Robert was talking about the sort of camaraderie that we have with each other, which I think is definitely the case in the cast, but also the case naturally in the story. One of the lines I loved earlier in the season, I think it's episode 302, is Danielle has found out from Molly that she's not been chosen to lead the Mars mission. And Molly says to her, you know, if you you need time to think it through, you know, let me know. And Danielle says, I don't need to think it through. Whatever the program needs, whatever Ed needs, I'll back him up. Ben, talk to me about this, the camaraderie within the program, of course, how that plays into what we see Dev do, which is the exact opposite. He's got no loyalty to anybody but himself, but also the camaraderie between Danielle and Ed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an important part of this job, but it's an important part, you know, I think of the relationships you're showing the evolution over every season. Mm -hmm. I think we really wanted to mess with that this year a little bit too, this idea of this friendly rivalry between two people who have as you can speak to, a complicated, long history between them. And not only between them, between their families. I mean, Ed and Danielle have been together through so much. And then to see Danielle stand up for herself in season two and demand to be a commander and then seeing Ed struggle with that. Mm -hmm. But then you see in the end, he's like, this is the right move. I think that history, and this is what I really feel like it's paying off dividends for us now. Like we've laid the groundwork of a backstory that on a lot of shows we'll talk about, oh, and this happened to your character 10 years ago. This happened to your character 20 years ago. On our show, like, you saw that backstory. You were with these people. You experienced it. So when you see someone like Ed and Danielle come together in this episode and that high Bob moment, what I love about that moment is, yeah, it's the high Bob thing we've seen so many times before, but <laughs> the way you say it, it, there's such warmth and and a history to it now. And and there's even pain. I mean, there's a lot there, that that shared history you feel it between you two, um, a shorthand um, that I think really comes through in this episode. And I think that that idea that Ed is working behind your back and honestly behind his daughter's mm-hmm. back on this mission is interesting because, you know, look, he made a choice when he left NASA. I think there was a choice there, you know, that he left his family of, of so many years. 
And this is one of the consequences of that choice. Ben, talk to me a bit about the, we're going to get real technical here, about the design of the Happy Valley base versus the HABs that the Helios folks have. Well, these sets, you know, I, I want to give credit to our design team led by Dan Bishop. Incredible. Did and continue to do fantastic work with limited time, limited resources, what they're able to put together. You know, I think the, the thing that Matt, Ron, and I are always pushing for is making it feel real, mm-hmm, everything. Mm-hmm. And I think what well, we keep saying this over and over again, like, I, yes, it's alt history, but especially because it's alt history, we want everything to feel real. We want the audience to feel that when you're watching this, how does it feel to be on Mars if Cramped, you're on Mars? right. Mm-hmm. Cramped. <laughs> that every inch, every inch of that base is there for a reason. That's the most important thing. And I think what's wonderful with our production designers, set decorators, illustrators, all of them, that everything is, the, that's the question they ask themselves constantly. Like, why is that there? What's, what purpose does that serve? Because I think that, you know, bringing something up to the moon is difficult enough. Bringing something mm-hmm. up to Mars. You got to really want is it. Re- mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to want it. Mm-hmm. And what, it's got to serve more than one purpose sometimes. So I think the design of those halves and the idea that it's cramped, one speaks to the reality of what, what would be brought up there at this early stage. So, Ben, as we begin to draw the conversation to a close, I want you to tease what we're going to see in the second half of the season without telling us what we're going to see in the second half. This is a heck of a needle to thread, but I believe in you, Ben. Well, let me just say you ain't seen nothing yet. How about that? (laughs) As, As is our tradition, I would say for any fans of the show who've watched it so far, yes, we, I feel like, the finales and the build-up to the finales have mm-hmm, gotten bigger mm-hmm. and a bit crazier every season. And I don't think we're going to disappoint this season. It gets pretty <laughs> but I, crazy. Yeah, pretty, cr- pretty, pretty crazy. crazy. But, but yeah, you know, Mars is not an easy Tough. place to be. It's it's a it's a tricky <laughs> it's a tricky place. You know, um, I have to say, I mean, one thing we didn't talk about this episode is the Danny. Not you, Danny. The mm-hmm, other Danny. Danny Stevens, yeah. I love that we have two Dannys on the show. We really thought that through. <laughs> but Danny and Ed, I think that relationship and how it's starting to strain mm-hmm. is something to definitely keep an eye on. Robert, what was the highlight and what was the low light of the For All Mankind experience? We're, we're obviously only talking up to this episode, but I do think this was such a, a huge moment for Will Tyler. So honestly, this entire episode for me was one, because when I auditioned for this, you guys were saying that you really wanted to get ahead of this character. So I auditioned for this, I want to say maybe in late February, early March, Mm -hmm. and we ended up filming in late June. So I was aware that this episode was coming up for quite some time. And just the like, the pressure of, oh, am I going to be able to actually tell this story in the way that it deserves to be told and the sort of imposter syndrome. I I think if I can narrow it down, there were so many moments and especially our time in the airlock that I felt like we were really just finding something in the air, Mm -hmm. something uh, in the chemistry of of our work together that I was like, it feels like something is, is great here and being excited to see how that turned out. But I think if I narrowed it down to a sort of personal moment for me, it was actually when I was giving the monologue and and coming out as Will, primarily because that was a big day, if I recall correctly, where we had multiple scenes, mm-hmm. and that we got to 
at the end of the we day, ran low on time. We had maybe like 20 <laughs> minutes left to do it. And Andrew's just yeah. like, okay, I mean, here's a camera. Do it. Uh, let's yeah. see. If, if you can get it, you can get it cool. You know, it's like, Hurry well, up. this is kind of an important the moment. Glamour guys. television. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah. And in that yeah. sort of high pressure situation, it's so easy to fall back on old habits and try to like deliver in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And the fact for me in my personal life that I was able to just sit there and breathe and feel ready and then like we had maybe two, three takes and I think the one that they used was maybe the first one or the second one and I just immediately fell in and I remember Andrew being like, oh, okay, you know what you're doing? Great. (laughs) And just went back behind the thing and it was just me talking to this camera. And so just as a personal benchmark to be like, oh, I can do this in high pressure situations where I have to deliver. It's like when you're playing a sport in crunch time, you're like, I have to knock this out or the whole team is, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was such a pivotal moment of the season to feel like, okay, I can be there in this moment and be present and it'll be there for me was such a a lovely experience to learn to trust myself. And the low light? That's tough. I'd say overall, to know what an experience of working on a show like this feels like and then to suddenly have it be done. And even in the format of the show, you know, you're jumping decades. You never know if your character happens to survive a season or not if they're going to continue that story forward. And it's like, yeah, I've had a very long career um, and a wonderful career, and I've, I've loved so many projects I've done, but there was something about this show that I adore so much in the writing and in the characters to be a part of something like that, especially, as I've mentioned, coming out of pandemic where it's, it's so much of my social life, of my personal life, and, and getting to know everybody on, in the group it felt like such a loss when we were done. It felt like a loss, honestly, in the blocks where we weren't filming. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I miss well, you what guys. do I do with myself? And so, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So that, it, it, it wasn't really anything about the experience except for just knowing that exists and wanting so much to be a part of something like that. You, when you get that sort of high, you're like, okay, well, I got to go find the next thing that like feels yeah. the same way. Robert Bailey Jr., Ben Nadivi, thank you both so much for taking time to sit down with me on For All Mankind, the official podcast. Thank you. You guys Chris. are just a couple of gems. So this has been beautiful. That was awesome. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, Chris. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on this episode of For All Mankind, the official podcast. Be sure to listen and follow on Apple Podcasts and watch For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus where available. And don't forget to join us again next week where we will discuss episode seven. This is an Apple TV Plus podcast produced by At Will Media, executive produced by Will Malnati and me, Chris Marshall. Produced by Elliot Davis, Drew Beebe, Naila Andre, and Jenny Barish. Sound editing and mixing by Andrew Holzberger. Until next time, I'm Chris Marshall. Safe and sound Earthside.